Welcome to the Dog Pod, your home for fans of the University of Washington Huskies Tackle football team. I'm here with Law Dog. We are both back from our road trip to sunny Tucson, where we watched our glorious Huskies not lose to the 0-18 Wildcats. Um, so much to talk about, man. We got a date with Stanford coming up Saturday night. We snatched a win from the jaws of certain defeat. Pac-12 shenanigans. I mean, there's just so much to get into. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the more roller coaster Husky games that I can remember on record BT. I mean, it, it was, I felt like we hit rock bottom at halftime. I was ready to just fully give up on the, on the Washington Huskies, my alumni association with them. They squeak it out in the second half with a little bit of a gift from uh, your boy Thule. And, uh, you know, they pulled it out in the end. Yeah, it, it was, it was one for the records. And, um, you know, this is our annual dad and kid trip that we take. We had 60, uh, 68 of us in our section, um, dads bringing their kids out, great tailgating the mall, uh, really good food, tacos and, uh, Sonoran hot dogs from Wero Canelo, um, mariachi band for our buddy's birthday. Um, so real fun tailgate. I thought we won the tailgate for sure. Uh, and then headed into a very, very quiet, um, very, very quiet stadium. Look, it's the so emptiest college football game I have I've ever seen in yeah, my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you 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 could have um, you could have scalped a dozen tickets for a buck fifty going in. So, <laughs> I mean, um, they were, people are just handing them out as you lesson went. learned. BT Buying lesson these- learned. Don't go early. Don't, don't go Same. early. What are you What are you thinking, man? Um, so you know we're in, we'll recap the uh, the Arizona game as part of sort of our all up recap of what the season has looked like, and let's just get into that because look, no one wants to hear the replay of that of that game. But all up, I'll I'll do this. The dogs sit. At three wins and four losses, including let me go through this: a historic thirteen to seven hundred year storm loss to Montana, an absolute ass kicking in Ann Arbor, first loss to the Beavers in ten years, an anemic home loss to UCLA. The three wins have come against one and six Arkansas State, two and five Cal, and zero oh and seven Zona. Zero oh and seven Zona again, who we talked about had won eighteen games in a row. All up, this is a statistic I could not believe. All up, our three wins have come at the hands of teams that are 0-18 against FBF's competition. Brutal. Yeah, I mean, it, that just kind of says it all. I mean, it, you know, we it, it, and that's the thing. We're getting into the hard part of the schedule right now. Like, this is not going to be easier coming down the stretch in these last five games. And, you know, have you shown you could do anything? You, you haven't. And so, I mean, quick cliff notes on the game. Uh, definitely the most anemic for ha- half of Husky football that we've seen in the first half, they put up 65 yards against an Arizona who, again, was able to run the ball at will against us. Um, the loss comes at a heavy loss. We lose Eddie Ulofoscio to an arm injury. We lose Rich Newton for the season. Alex Cook's TBD, it looked a lot worse than it actually was in the end. Uh, I mean, this is tough. This is really tough. I, I've got some takes on the defense. I want to give this defense some look a bat, look back on the grades, but anything else you want to say before I get into that, Law Dog? Yeah, well, part of the first half, the problem, I mean, Dylan Morris gets that uh, bloody nose going in the first quarter, and of course, we couldn't see it from our seats, uh, but then they bring in Sam Heward on that second series, and I mean, this is just what's part of, this is part of what's so damn frustrating about Husky football right now, is then Jimmy Lake comes back and says, oh, no, that was the plan all along. Uh, Okay, then why didn't Sam Heward throw a pass until it was, what, third and, you know, a mile. Um, 
he was just handing the ball off the whole time. And then, okay, that's part of your plan. Great. We didn't ever see him again after that series. I mean, this just is driving me crazy. It feels like everything that he says on the podium, I'm starting to just get this vibe where it's like, I can't believe it. I, I just, it's not, it, it's, he's not telling the fans the truth. He's not being forthcoming and it just, it doesn't make any sense. So that to me just drives me crazy about the first half. And then, you know, you get into the second half and you basically had to get a gift interception from Latuli Gasanoa to even have a chance. Arizona just runs the ball as everyone else has been able to do against this team. And they are probably icing a victory and would have been one of the more humiliating victories or losses in, in Huskies recent history. And, you know, that there's good company there. So, uh, you know, this was a very frustrating game. That's why it doesn't really feel like a win. It felt more like an escape, and it felt like more of the same problems that we've been dealing with all season long. Yeah, I would agree. No, I don't think anybody felt good um, outside of the fact of, a, you know, quote, unquote, a win's a win. Uh, but if you're trying to glean anything from that moving forward, um, you know, it just seems like we're not ready. We come out flat. We can't stop the run against anyone, even a team who has not been able to run the ball. Who hasn't been um, able to win a game in two years. Hasn't been able to win a game in two years. Um, tough. I mean, all up, look, let me talk about the defense all up. Midpoint of the season here. The team is giving up just 19.7 points a game at 330 yards a game. Now, look, those are both a close second to ASU. We're number two in the Pac-12. You should be able to win most of the games on your schedule with a defense like that. That keeps your opponents under 20, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, look, you want to pat yourself on the back and feel good about that. Now, I mean, this is what is frustrating with this team. UW is number one in the nation against the run. Or excuse me, against the pass. 140 yards a game and four passing TDs. Georgia's behind us. Now, you feel good about that, right? But why? Why? Why pass when you can just run? I mean, we're 11th in the Pac-12 in rush yards allowed at 193, just ahead of who? We're about to talk about them, Stanford. Yeah. Stanford coming in at the 12th. Look, let me, let me talk about some of the groups. Um, linebackers right now, we're in massive trouble. Eddie was leading the way. Um, he's out for the season. Now you can look to Jackson Sermon, uh, mm-hmm. who, who leads the team in tackles. But, you know, Carson Bruner, MJ Tafisi, Danny Homuli, um, Tuatala. I mean, look – I think in the end it's going to be this. Now it has to be the sermon show with a little bit of rumor to Fisi and Hamuli and a lot of guys who look. Eddie was the star of that group, and we're going to be looking around. ZTF man, if I if I if I have a bright spot on this Husky team in the defense, ZTF to me, what he's doing coming back from this injury, even in the very few plays that he's in, making a killer sack in Arizona, uh, he looks amazing. But then there's a drop between him and Jeremiah Martin for sure. Um, the D-line to me, look, they, they just, they've had trouble. I, like, I love them all individually. Taki Taimani missed the zone game. Been impressed with Fatu Tuitele. Obviously, Tuli Gasanoa, was, his play was incredible. But so each one of them individually, um, yeah, I don't know. They've got the stats. They look great. But when you can't hold an anemic running team down like Arizona, and they're, they, you have to start that blame up front. You have, you have to. Yeah, and uh, let me just add, I mean, I think schematically, they're just, you know, we we saw Jimmy Lake, I guess, or one of the assistants come out and say, oh, yeah, we're going to start, you know, putting more than six men in the box. But, I mean, they've been putting six men in the box for five years and leading the conference in defense, right? They've been doing that 
because they've been able to jump out to a lead or at least hang in these games, right? But if a team is taking a lead on you and then all they have to do is run out the clock, every coach in, who coaches football a junior peewee and up is going to do that. Um, and so they need help. They need to put another D lineman on the field. Taki Taimani and Latuli Gessinoa, those guys are just not, they're just not Vita Vea and Greg Gaines. Yeah. Five years ago, when you went to the final four, those were your two down linemen. Um, and then you had Ryan Bowman and a couple other, um, you know, guys who were, who were doing the job. But I mean, they just, those guys are not going to be first day NFL draft picks, um, like the first two. So, I think there's a big problem there. They need to address it because the lack of that star power showcases the uh, deficiencies in the scheme. Right? Exactly. And I think we probably at the time did, maybe didn't realize that enough and thought like, oh, it's just the scheme and we can just plug and play the next. Where's the next Danny Shelton? Where's the next, you know, go down the line? Where's the next Vita Vea? And now we don't have it. You're, you're, you're totally right. And I think, look, um, if we keep going back, you know, the secondary, I think it's hard to read because they just don't get tested. Enough. Look, the you know the pair of, of Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. I think that's our best unit right there. Yep. Um, Asa, Asa Turner. He still continues to be a work in progress. Had, you know how to pick. Um, I think you know he'll miss tackles, gets out of position. They're still uh, rotating bodies a lot back at safety. Still rotating too. bodies. Corner. They are sticking with those guys and Bookie, and they're playing well. That's right. And they just it's hard to say. So like I I think I'm, I'm not going to grade that unit too low. Um, but at the same time, they're just not getting tested. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what we see in, in, a, in a Stanford who we'll get into it, I think is going to try to throw and, and test us all up with this defense. Again, it's very difficult to come out here and give them a D and give them an F because they're holding teams to under 20 points a game. Um, but the inability to stop the run and get the ball back against teams that have no business. This isn't Michigan. It's a serious um, weakness. No, you're it's right. It's a serious we. It's a serious, serious uh, weakness. But I don't know. Talk to me a little about the offense, and then we'll get into the special teams at the end. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, here's here's what I'll say about the offense. Um, I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start positive, and we'll work our way down. Um, I'd say a big positive has a big breakout has been the play of these receivers. Um, I'd say Terrell Bynum looks like probably one of the best receivers we've had in the program since Pettis, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he was a monster on Saturday in Arizona, two 51-yard catches when we really needed him. Um, and he had that big touchdown to start the game in Gordon State. I mean, he's had some big plays this year. He's played really well. And the guy, Roman Dudze, Jalen McMillan, those guys have had their moments, and they, have, they are really electric athletes. I think if you're going to give a grade on the offense, I'd say those guys actually get the highest grade. Um, I would say tight end. I'd, I'd say Kate Outen's been a little disappointing this season. I mean, last year he was really the security blanket for Dylan Morris. He was your leading receiver. Um, he hasn't been MIA, but he just hasn't been a game breaker that you were kind of hoping and expecting him to be going into the year. Well, he, he, he has been MIA in the games that he missed because he doesn't want to get a vaccine. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I, I mean, I don't want to go too hard on this, but at the same time, like, it, it, it is a little bit of a double standard to harp on guys who will miss a game because they lose their cool and, uh, you know, get a taunting penalty or something like that. Or how about they were in there giving it at their all and they got an injury? And they got an injury, right. Yeah, it's tough. And then, you know, so anyway, 
I don't I don't want to harp too much on that, but you're you're right. I think we expected him to lead uh, lead everyone in all categories. We expect him to be an all American candidate, and uh, you know he's been he's been fine when he's been in there, but um, you know it just it hasn't been like he was last year when he was the team's like best offensive weapon. I'm actually going to maybe mix it up a little bit here, and I'm going to give the running backs kind of a, a little bit of praise. I think now that they've settled on the rotation of Pleasant and McGrew. I think those are your two best backs. I think those guys have played the best when given the opportunity. Um, they've certainly none of them has played well enough to deserve to have all the carries. But I mean, Pleasant, I would say overall has looked better and better as the year has gone on, and and maybe he might be your feature back going into the second half of the year. McGrew obviously had you know some huge moments early in the season, but they just keep trying to run him up the gut, and um, he just not his play. Yeah, yards per carry are coming way down in the last couple of weeks because he's just not breaking those long ones. So although I like those two guys, you mentioned Newton's out for the season. That is a tough break. But at the same time, like they've got two guys that I really trust. And then, and then of course, Cam uh, Davis, um, who I always mix up with Cam Williams. Um, you know, he had the fumble there, a crucial fumble uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, but I think he's got a lot of talent. They're still showing that they've got some trust in him. So I think the running backs have been okay. Um, I think a lot of the blame I would lay on the running game probably falls on the offensive line, which I'll get to. But I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I said I would go in descending order. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I just, I can't help but be uh, really disappointed in the play of the quarterbacks. Um, and Dylan Morris, I just, I think he's erratic. He is not consistent. He's not accurate. There are moments when he looks great, and the second half against Arizona was one of them. And when he has time to throw, he looks great. And guess what? In 2020, when we played four games, he had a lot of time to throw. And that's why I think we had a lot of confidence in him uh, going into this season. But he has the offensive line, which I'll get to, um, has just been disappointing not giving him uh, you know, the, the clean pocket. And when you see him move his legs and get outside that pocket, I mean, you might as well just throw the ball away because he can't connect a pass. Like, you know, we're used to a guy like maybe like Jake Locker, or Keith Price, who had some mobility back there. Even Jake Browning uh, had completed some throws kind of while his feet were moving. Dylan Morris, I can't even think of a big play he's made um, while his feet were moving out of the pocket. Um, and then finally, I think he stares. So he, the one thing I'd add to that is he stares down his his first option too long. Yeah, like well, you'll I'm, see him just lock it's, in. It's his third year in the program, so I think you know we need to. I think that's the time when I think for a quarterback, especially, you can really start to make a judgment. You know, right. I think yeah, you've had yeah. you should have had enough time to kind of figure things out, but he still is what a guy who's you know been played ten, eleven games, so. Yeah, I think with experience that could improve. But I mean, this team wasn't built so that he could gain experience while we rebuilt. This was a team he was supposed to lead, you know, to a big bowl game in the words of Jimmy Lake. So, um, yeah, I I can't help but just be pretty disappointed. And I just think this offensive line, I mean, there's nothing to say. Like, you know, we went into the season. um, Go back and listen to our season preview, BT. We're praising this offensive line, saying, hey, it's going to lead us (laughs) to the the top of the conference. And So was Phil still. We were in good good company. Everyone was. and, and, And no doubt, everybody got this wrong. But they have just been a disaster. Morris has been on the run. We can't open any running lanes. 
uh, it's just been a disaster and they've rotated. I mean, obviously Jackson Kirkland didn't play last week. Um, they've been kind of screwing around at left guard because I think they, they're trying to find a combo that works. And, you know, this, it, this has been one of the more disappointing offenses of Husky football in the last 13 years. I'm going back to 2008. I can't think of a, an offense that I've despised watching more than the 2021 offense since, since the, 0-12 season of 2008. Just it's like they're, not built, they're not built for this sort of modern-day athletic down lineman defensive end who seem, they seem to just struggle to pick up and stay on blocks. Yeah, I mean, if you, you, know that, you, you know, you pay attention on Twitter and you see these little clips. Like, you mentioned it, right? Um, you know, sometimes you'll see the the, the schemes and the, and the positioning and all that. You just see guys like jumping into space where there's nobody there, and offensive defensive right. linemen are almost just waiting to see where you go, and we'll just run around. Let's <laughs> just I mean, get right, right. I mean, so I definitely, one hundred percent, want to make clear: I am not laying the blame on this on the players solely. They have not no. played very well, but I do think this is a this is a huge coaching problem. I just don't think they know what they are. I don't think they know what they have. I don't think they really have a plan. To change up, hey, what if this doesn't work? I mean, we don't see them make adjustments other than, oh, it's third and 12. We better throw. Right. There's not adjustments. There's not, like, conviction. There isn't really much identity. Um, it's really tough. Run, I mean, run, run, pass. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, it's short loss, short loss, pass. You're right. I mean, look, there's no question. I mean, when the defense is, is giving you, like, you know, there's just – been a problem for the Huskies over over uh, the last decade, but when the defense is keeping your opponents down under twenty points, um, you like you like to think that the offense can muster up twenty eight, you know, thirty plus at some point. But it's been hard. I mean, let me get into special teams real quick. Um, the punt you allowed that block last uh, week at Arizona that was a tough start. But Race Porter, man, he's been phenomenal. Top ten punter mm-hmm. nationally. Um, he's been a real standout. Peyton Henry. Um, look, he stepped up to kick field goals and kickoffs after Timmy Horn left, but Peyton's just 70, he's 70% on the year. Peyton's long is 38. And he's kicking it out of the end zone or he's yeah. getting, he's really driving the kickoffs. It, may, it raises the question. Why do you even need Tim? Horn? Why do we need Tim Horn? I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a little tough, but I mean, I think, um, so, you know, like that, I don't think it's been a highlight of our, of the year. Giles Jackson on returns, boy, he's just, I just been underwhelming, man. He'll let punt, punts bounce right in front of him. Things that I think he should run up and pick up. You know, call fair catch and run up and pick those up and not let them bounce. Very minimal on the returns. We aren't letting as many big plays go. I've noticed on kickoffs and punts that we had in the past, particularly on the punt side where we had a no, the coverage and the field position. I feel like has been pretty solid. Yeah, it's been. But it's it's the, the returners that are the the returners. We just haven't seen enough out of. And there's this is a year that boy we could have used them. Um, and you know, and again, like race Porter, just such a highlight. Um, uh, for the team, but all up, you can't point at this at the special teams unit. But look, here we are. We've got the meat of this schedule coming up. We've already had our buy. It's on. Where you're about to prove yourself. And look, this game this week. If you look at the rest of them, even including the Apple Cup, I don't even know. This might we have to see. I, don't, I still up and down on what up what the uh, Cougs are made of. This is probably your most winnable game coming. Oh, we've Colorado. Excuse me, forgot about Colorado. But like, this is your with the, of the tough games that are coming up. This is the one where you think, boys, this is the year you can go down and snatch one. UW at Stanford, seven thirty on Saturday night on FS1. We haven't won a game in Palo Alto since two thousand seven. Oh, woof. Two thousand seven. This rivalry dates back to eighteen ninety three. 
And last year, last year, for the first time since the 1900s, Stanford picked up a lifetime win lead. They're 44 wins to our 43. Last year serving the dogs, their only loss of the year. Stanford's won seven. Uh, they, um, they have won uh, seven of the last 10. Okay. This year, the Cardinal are three and four, and they're struggling as well. But they have some strong wins, man. Look out. They took out top two Oregon, 31-24 at home. They beat USC in the Coliseum, 41-28. Um, about defense, man. This is the thing I've been keeping about. Like, if I was going to do a movie trailer for this game, I would keep thinking of when two easily movable objects collide. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's, it's Stanford and UW's run D. UW 108th in the country, Stanford 111th. Yeah, I mean, to me, the problem is it, Jimmy Lake looks at the film and looks at the stats that we're looking at and says, oh, it's finally time for us to break out and we can run the ball. And we have been proving that teams like and Arizona who have struggled running the ball, we will make you look great. We will um, make you look great. Look, we're attempting to slow down this, this offense. It's putting up just 26 a game. Um, all up, you know, in Stanford, what they're bringing to town against this defense. 6'6", six, 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 Tanner uh, McKee. He's a very efficient quarterback. Um, older as well, older kid returned after a two-year mission. He's number two in the conference at QBR at 76. Um, he's only thrown picks in one game that ASU game. He had just a tough outing three picks. That's the only time he's thrown a pick all year. He's third in total yards. We saw him tear up Oregon when he had to, they've got some weapons on offense, man. Look to um, Elijah Higgins, six, three junior Bryson Tremaine, six, four sophomore. These guys have skills. Austin Jones, they look to him a lot. 5'10 running back, 195 yards running, and 212 yards receiving out of the backfield. He's impressive. Um, and they have Nathaniel Pete, so they can switch it up a little bit. I mean, that's you know their equivalent to our Kamari Pleasant uh, and our Sean McGrew. Look, they have weapons. Um, they've just struggled to get anything going consistently. Less than 100 yards rushing and dead last and third in passing. I think some of this as well, like they've had to change things up because they don't have the road graders like the Foster Sorrells of the world. Um, and they don't have these other weapons. This, you know, they uh, look at the litany of NFL tight ends out there that are from that Stanford lineage and they just don't have them. You know, so they're coming up with what's a new offense that I don't think is anything like what we've seen out of Stanford, uh, which bodes a little bit better for the Huskies. But I don't know. I think that offense. Um, you definitely have to give the coin flip. It's not even a coin flip. I mean, they, they're bringing the better quarterback into this matchup. And I think this is the week where our corners are going to get a chance to really, our secondary is going to get a chance to really show off. And we're going to get a pr- chance to really show off edge pressure against a 6'4", kind of, excuse me, 6'6", six, six, lanky quarterback who doesn't have a lot of mobility. But this one's going to be tough. This one's going to be tough for the dogs. Yeah, you know, let's uh, move over to the other side of the ball a little bit, BT. You talked about how bad that Stanford defense is. I'll just share some numbers with you here. Um, they are Stanford 11th in the conference in points per game allowed, 12th in the conference, dead last wow. in yards per game allowed, 12th dead last behind your Washington Huskies in rushing yards per game allowed. The only real strength they show up is their fourth in passing yards um, allowed. And so their secondary is probably strength their team. They also have a decent, competent linebacker core, but this D line that you've got I get the, of the Cardinal, it's just not what it has been during their, their, their high points in recent seasons. Um, 
And so you'd like to think the Huskies could, you know, could run the ball a little bit here. But I'd also just like I was just mentioning with that offensive line, I'd really just like to see them give Morris a clean pocket uh, on Saturday. And I think if they can do that, you know, the Huskies can in theory move the ball in this game um, and put up some points. And really, we've seen what happens when you give Stanford the lead. That's really the problem, because then they're just going to they know they will do. They will run, run run until you prove you can stop it. I don't know about you, but I don't have any confidence in that. So I think if I were Jimmy Lake, I wouldn't want to come out and show us that Sean McGrew really can move the ball against the 12th ranked uh, running defense in the Pac-12. I'd want to throw the ball, go to our strengths, try to get the ball in those receivers' hands and move the ball down the field, um, at least play field position, but then also just you know, get some points up early in this game and try to eke out a lead so that Stanford is not uh, playing from ahead the whole the whole time. And I think if they can do that, that's their best chance at winning uh, that first game down the farm since 2007, like you said. It, look, it's a it would be a big one for the dogs, and this is a chance where you finally could get a win that will make Husky Nation smile a little bit because we haven't had that. Again, we're We've or the only all of our wins have come against teams that have yet to win a game against an FBS opponent. This is the time where you could go down to a Stanford and do something Oregon failed to do this year. Yeah. No, I I think it would it would erase a lot. Not all, certainly not all, but it would it would do a good thing towards kind of erasing some of that bad will that's being felt and that's building up around the fan base. I mean, you know, if you can be the, the guys, I mean, Chris Peterson only went down there. In fact, I don't think he won. No, he didn't win down there. Cause we haven't won since 2007. Jimmy Lake can do that. win down on the farm, he'll do something. Chris Peterson never did. I think, uh, you know, I can't think of, um, uh, any big wins we've had down there in recent years. Um, so, yeah, it would be huge. I'm not going to say it's going to change my mind about the coaching staff and changes that need to be made, but it will show us that, hey, this team maybe has some daylight ahead of it and doesn't have to just fold up the season. We can go to a bowl game. We can kind of turn this thing around. Yeah, it, it, it definitely would. But, look, we're all, I mean, I'm not going to surprise you to tell you we're not the favorite coming into this. My, my favorite segment, let's guess the lines a little bit. I'm going to start at the top. UW at Stanford, 730 on Saturday night. Uh what do you say? What do you think I, it is? What's the I, line? I actually did happen to see this one. Oh, uh, you saw this one. Okay, yeah, so I saw this one. But st- Stanford by yeah by two or two and a half, depending on where you see it. I was I was shocked personally. I just thought, man, that like the the sharps certainly have not been watching the last thirteen years that we've been playing down there. That's for sure. Okay, the rest of them have the rest of them will go through, uh, and this isn't going to surprise you, but a lot a lot of big um, home faves. Start with so decent little Saturday slate. We've got Wazoo at at ASU noon on FS1. How many is ASU favored by? I'll say uh, I'll say ten. Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen. Big fa- big favorite, uh, that- and I think. You, you could make a real easy argument that ASU is the class of the Pac-12 right now. See you at Oregon. Uh, it's got twelve thirty on Fox. That's got to be Dex by about twenty-four. Be right on the money. Look at you, dude. Yeah. Give yourself an apple there. Twenty-four. Oregon State at Cal, four p.m. Uh, Pac-12 networks. Um, what do you think of this one? Oregon okay, State. well, I'm going to go. If uh, I am not going to favor Cal in this game, I'm going to go Oregon State by two. Fifteen Beavers. Ooh, 15, 15 people love the way the beeves are playing right now. Um, 
Zona. I mean, that one to me is a like you want to ta- take a home dog to cover a big spread. Oh, there's yeah. your game. There's I, your game. I think so. Um, so. Zona at USC, 4 p.m. ESPNU. Tough one to get, but Zona at USC. How much? I mean, That's, how much the Trojans? I'm going to go back. I'm going to say another 24. 21. Yeah. UCLA UCLA at Utah, 7 p.m. ESPN. Hmm. I'm going to give the Utes uh, – I'm going to call that a pick em, BT. Utah's by six and a half. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that, one's a little bit of surpri- that one's a little surprising as well, but decent little slate coming up for the Pac-12 this week. One thing that we did, and I'll, I'll give the suggestion out there, if you're out for a road game and you've got your uh, your Saturday slate, um, everybody throws 20 bucks in a cup. You pick all of the lines for the entire day slate, a couple tiebreakers towards the end, follow the games all day and see who picks the most uh, one of them right. I'll give a shout-out to our listener. Kevin Comartin took everybody out. Uh, it was pretty cool. That was a decent way to spend a Saturday and a fun way if you already had your Friday night game. A lot of stuff good going on Pac-12 in the Pac-12. Games. Good Pac-12 games last week. There really was. That UCLA-Oregon yeah, game was fun, man. Um, what else has happened in the Pac-12 that we got a couple things we need to talk about before we sign off? Well, the one thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, there's this interview with the new commish, Klyavkov, uh, about um, – tinkering with the idea of dropping divisions and going potentially to an eight game schedule. And I thought this was very interesting. And I just, I don't think this is a good idea in the long run. I think you're going to end up with a lot of teams, you know, those three way tie situations where you get, you know, three teams that are seven and one, I guess, on an eight game schedule, but eight and one or, or seven and two, uh, six and one, or, you know, seven and two, you know, you know, you get what I'm saying. Six and two, seven and one. Um, and I just, I think you should give everybody a chance to lay out, you know, in their division and say, we deserve to play on, right. It's kind of like a way to play into that championship game. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not in favor of an idea like that, even though I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to, you know, eliminate the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself. And instead of maybe a few years ago, what was it? Uh, Oregon playing UCLA that was like six and six in the championship game, trying to get them into a better game, the better team, you know, and, and I get, I get that there's some merit to that, but um, I just think you went to this division format um and it works for a reason. The fact that one of the divisions sucks is not, you know, let's fix that problem rather than try to schedule around it. So that was one of my thoughts. And then also just this eight game schedule. Um, I think that's obviously that's kind of the Alliance part of the Alliance discussion too, right? You have eight conference games, then you have one game against um, a big 10 team or something like that. They're trying to keep themselves at a competitive um footing with the sec i don't hate that one as much um but again if we're going to an eight game schedule and then we're getting away from divisions does that mean that we're going to skip oregon two out of six years or we're going to skip um it's no apple cup yeah we're yeah something like that i mean you're going to have a lot of schedule rotations that are going to that are going to affect things and that's another reason not to do it is you get the really imbalance in the schedule you get two team who's missing two of the top teams in their schedule and they go seven and one and they're playing for the championship. Okay. Well, sure. They might be highly rated, but are they the most deserving, you know? Uh, so I, I, you know, I think that I get that they're trying to keep uh, on par with the sec, but uh, I just, I think this is a little misguided. I think they should worry a little bit more about, you know, getting that revenue coming in and 
lifting a rising tide, lifting all boats rather than uh, trying to schedule out of it. And one of the ways you could do that is by this alliance system, creating more inventory for television and you're going to have to play harder schedules. Um, but, um, you know, just some just some thoughts on that topic. Well, I, what I wouldn't want to see going to an eight game schedule is then you get one decent game and then you're guaranteed three snoozers. And I think that's the problem with what you get in the SEC, right? Is you've got, you know, Citadel, Hofstra, and uh, Alabama you know, State. The Alabama State, and then you know, that's great thing. I mean, look, it's cool. You you guys you played uh, Texas next year, uh, but besides that, I, I wouldn't want to see that. But I will say, if you're looking for if you're looking for parity, we will go to eight games before they'll go to nine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, if I, I don't know if that's going to buy you anything, but I just I also just hate the idea of missing an Apple Cup and missing an Oregon game. And I could see where they would say, "Look, okay, UCLA plays USC every year. Oregon plays Oregon State every year." But for us, that Oregon game is just as important. We want to see that every year. Um, I, I would hate to miss that on, you know, missing out on even the, I hate to say, but even I like mean, the Cal- look at it this way, BT, we have, we have eight conference games and four of them are Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona state. You're just like, wait, what? Wazoo, right. Cause that's our game that we're keeping. And it's like, you know, that's not as appealing, I think to us. And, and I think there's a reason we've been doing it the way we've been doing it. I don't think that that ninth game is such a big deal breaker that, you know, it just, destroys uh parody in the conference yep yeah no i would i would totally agree and um my other topic i was going to touch on before you get to get to the last one which i'm actually going to skip today um i had fun doing the narratives like narrative one narrative you know so like hawks and the doves you cannot come up with a dove narrative right now it's over like earlier on in the year you could ah injuries in montana michigan's so good we like these 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 narratives that um you know, that, that Jimmy will try to pull off in the press conferences that, hey, couple of plays, couple of plays and we're a seven-win team. Nobody's buying it. And, well, and, and that's a, what a, I was a, talking a couple, about. A couple of plays and, and, we, and, and we're a one-win team. Yeah, no, that's what I was talking about with Lake. It just feels like everything he's saying is completely self-serving. And, and he loses credibility because we can't believe, you know, anything he's saying if he, if he is – it just doesn't look like he's watching the game. I mean, what, well, say what you will about Chris Peterson, but he went out there and said, hey, look, we're playing a good team. He showed respect for the opponent. Lake does that too, but then he says, hey, you know, we need to get better on this area. Jimmy Lake, it doesn't feel like has any humility enough to just say, we're not good enough. It's And it's tough because, you know, I like – You've spent time with him. I've spent enough time with him, and just I was so incredibly impressed. He was so down to earth and upfront. We had a great conversation. He was really forthcoming, more so than I thought he would have needed to be about about the game and the Pac-12 championship. But it's different when you're an offensive coordinator, and now he's a head coach. And it's also different. How would any of us act if we knew, in whatever line of work you're on, your days might be numbered? I mean, you feel that. You got to yeah. feel it, right? Uh, it, and I mean, there's, there's, you know, some talk that like, is he keeping John Don around because he needs a scapegoat to survive? You know, I can keep him around, fire him at the end of the season. That's going to buy me some time where I can point and say, Hey, you know what? Hey, but I got this new OC guys. Don't worry. Every head coach goes through that. You're absolutely right. And to the point, Jimmy Lake is a fantastic guy by all accounts. Um, and you know, I, I frankly wish he could remain 
you know, in the role that he really succeeded in in the program. But we're just, that's not how the world works. I mean, he's just, you know, you think about what qualities you need to be a head coach at this level. You need to be a CEO. You're yeah. running an yeah. organization. You need to hire well. You need to trust your hires, but you also need to have enough accountability, uh, to accountability, but you also need to have enough knowledge and know how to get in there and tell them when they're doing something wrong and make corrections. I mean, tell me what you're seeing, what I just said, what qualities he's demonstrated in those areas. It's just, he hasn't hired well. It's just been a disaster one after another. And I mean, frankly, like if I were him, I'd be worried about it too. Whether you fire John Don right now, or you do it at the end of the season, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't, you know, I, 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 I really don't, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing that we continue to trot out this offense every week. I will say that. And so for that reason alone, maybe he should be fired, but I mean, it, it's not going to buy you any more time than it otherwise would. It, you're going to be, ju- I mean, if Jimmy Lake, if we finish three and nine, Jimmy Lake will not be here next year. Um, you know, or he shouldn't be, he definitely shouldn't be. Um, so, you know, to me, it doesn't, whether John Donovan's on the staff or not, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that could be the case. You know, I, I do think it's a changing world now and um, I wouldn't be surprised if a three, four, win, uh Jimmy Lake gets another year. Well, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're Jen Cohen, you got your own problems. Okay. That's, so that's, you know, let's just put it that way. But then also, you know, Jimmy Lake's going to come in your office and say, look, we had COVID. We were we had four games played last year. I, I wasn't able to go out on the road and recruit. I mean, you've got a lot of – now, granted, every other team was dealing with those challenges. But I think it is understandable how Jen Cohen could look at that and go, okay, you're right. You know, maybe One more year. One more year. One more year. Yeah. I would say I would offer a counterpoint if I was in that room. And I would say you've had two recruiting cycles that have been – and we're, we're coming up at the end of the second of those two um, that have been a disappointment. I mean, this program yeah, was at a right. higher level. You're not recruiting to the level that this program was at. And so, therefore, those have been a disappointment. You weren't able to figure things out during COVID or you had some challenges. And I know you're a first-year head coach, but, like, your opponents were figuring it out. You know, they're succeeding or thriving, some of them. Um, so it's just not an excuse. That's the truth. Losing to Montana – a team you haven't lost to in a hundred years. I mean, Nate, find me a coach in Husky football history. That's lost a, a game to that caliber of opponent. You won't. That's right. So yeah. I, I look at that and go, yeah, I think there's plenty here to justify making a change, but I also understand, you know, Jen Cohen's going to be in a tough spot, uh, potentially and, and may not make that change. And we may have to live with this for another year. That's right. Yeah. It's a very good chance of it. Yep. Anything? Hey, anything else you're seeing on the Pac-12 before we uh, before we sign off? Well, I just wanted us to giggle at that rumor that Mike Tomlin was going to leave his job at the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers to go be the coach of USC. I mean, I just like chuckle when I see that stuff. It's like, who works for the USC like media team that they put that out there to, through a reporter or whatever? You're just like, that is just laughable. And then Mike Tomlin has to come out and like embarrass them and say embarrass like, them no. and blow it up in their face. Yeah, it's like, fuck you. I'm never going to do something like that. I mean, it, so I just had to chuckle at that. Um, you know what, though? They will have some really good candidates and they have the whole year to kind of look around for it. Um, and, and bet those guys. And, um, I would expect them to not screw it up, 
but um and if you're usc maybe you just maybe that's how you do you aim high you know but i i just looked at that and i kind of chuckled it's like no matt campbell of iowa state would actually just be a really good hire well and some of those some of those are the years where uh you can get lucky where you just end up being the marquee job that's open and in other years you've got three four marquee programs all fighting for the same pool right this could be the year i mean they've got lsu right LSU is going to be out there fighting for some of the same candidates that they are. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, okay, so here's here's another hypo. Mario Cristobal. Yeah. Let's say, let's say Miami makes a change. A lot of people are saying they will, right? You got your alma mater. You got LSU in the SEC. And then you got USC, who's the home of the biggest recruiting hotbed that you recruit to currently. Mm-hmm. Which of those three do you want if you're Mario Cristobal? Yeah, or do you stay at Oregon where they will surely uh, give you a raise? Uh, yeah, they'll just start writing checks to you. I mean, where he was, is, which is well-deserved. I mean, um, you know, my the alma mater thing is tough to, uh, you know, because everybody wants to go be that guy, right, who goes back and, and takes your old, uh, you know, blue, blue chip Miami and Blue Blood Miami program and brings it back to that stardom and that fame. That'd be hard to pass up and shit. It's Miami. They've got, well, and, got sponsorship. They've got the city. And the ACC right now. I mean, Clemson's looking down. Like, that's a that's a league where if you, you could get it up and running quickly, you could be really rolling. Yeah, you feel like you can pop in, pop in there and then have your ticket punched uh, to right. the CFP each year. Yeah, and look, LSU obviously has the money um, and has that recent history as well. Um, but the U the USC is the only one I don't see happening. Um, I don't think it's, is it that much? It's, is it that much of an improvement day to day next year? He's got a bunch of stuff to deal with. And from all the sounds of it, you know, their own athletic department there likes to shoot itself in the foot, um, which I think is going to be, is going to be hard for USC in this current administration to move forward and hire him. But yeah, you could see, definitely see them. You could definitely see the Miami thing happening. Yeah, I think that's kind of a tough call, actually. They've all got pros and cons. It just kind of depends what you value, right? And if you're Cristobal, if you just value money, you'll probably end up at LSU. Uh, Oregon, you know, may be able to match that, too. Maybe USC could get interesting. But you're right. If you, I mean, Miami, there's a lot of upside there. But that's probably the biggest rebuild out of all of them. So, um, yeah, it could be interesting to watch. I, I kind of do expect him to to – to make a move this year. I think he's, he's kind of hitting his ceiling a little bit at Oregon and let's face it. I mean, Helfrich took over a program that had Mariota who won a Heisman trophy mm-hmm. and Cristobal took over a program that had Herbert. Once those guys left, those programs didn't look quite the same. Oregon now is better than uh, when Mary after Mariota graduated. But I mean, they're definitely not – they're leaving some meat on that bone. If I were him, I would just be like, man, how much better can I really do? I'm recruiting like mad, like crazy, and it's still you know, bumping up against losing to Stanford and all this other stuff. So I expect as, him to make a move. As nervous as you might get that the LSU is hunting for your coach, USC is hunting for your head coach, and they used to have those rumors with Coach Pete all the time, and your offensive coordinators were getting picked off left and right and – you know, Jonathan Smith's getting taken for head coaching jobs. You complain about that. It feels tough. You know, when that happens is when your program is winning. Yeah. We don't, the Huskies do not have that problem right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think LSU's picking up Bob Gregory to be the DC. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough, but Hey, 
Look, Husky Nation, all I can say is, um, you know, I think they're, uh, it's frustrating. We're not going to be uh, the, the group of fans who just come out here and saying, this sucks, that sucks, this sucks, without any um, reason behind it. And we're here, I would say, for supporting the, like, the student-athletes who we think deserve better than this, uh, than they get. And Husky football is going to be around for a long, long time of ebbs and flows. It's not going to stop us from going to games and supporting this team. Um, if we can, you know, this is a week though, you know, again, this is a week we talked about this with Arizona that didn't matter how big they won in Arizona. Like when we talked about this, this game coming up, it didn't matter how big they won. You weren't going to impress anyone. Well, it came out that that wasn't the case that they had to squeak <laughs> out this win, you know, which made everyone even feel worse. But I will tell so you this, winning by five didn't impress you, BT nope. winning by, you know, I mean, shoot, if they won by 32 and covered, it wasn't going to impress been like, Yeah, I don't think it would impress anyone in Husky nation. Now, you go out and win an ugly win in Stanford. You win an overtime win. Got a last-second field goal and win by one. Nobody's going to care. Go you get will it. have done something that Chris Peterson never did. So let's yep. go do it. Get it let's, done. Let's Come on with a W. Come, Come back on with a W four. and beat those Cardinals. Can I get a go, dogs? Go, dogs. Woof. Go, dogs. Woof. Oregon and Stanford. Nope. Touchdown, Washington. Yep. Is Arizona State a football team? Nope. Touchdown, Washington. Yep.